but one who plants generously will get a generous um, crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be uh, remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will uh, be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Hmm. Um, I saw this so differently when I read it in the New Living Translation. And um, and uh, this house has, as long as I've been here, um, right from the very beginning, has never been afraid to talk about tithes and offerings and what God talks about, um, how that should work, and generosity and giving. And... Um, and I'm uh, forever grateful for that because I'm here today to say that um, every word of what God says about giving is true and he's faithful. And, uh, but I, I saw this. Uh, it, it says that he gives us the seed to sow and food to eat. And I suppose we just got to be careful we don't eat our seed. <laughs> um, so he's given us both. So he's, we've got the seed and that's what we need to ask for, the seed so that we can sow it. And when we do that generously, it says, then you will always have everything you need. So I believe that's my tithes and offerings. You will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others and then it says, as the scriptures say, they share freely. Now, I saw this when I was reading it, and it was, it was just like a light bulb went on. So this isn't talking about your tithes and offerings. This is talking about the overflow from your tithes and offerings. So you've already sowed. And your tithes, well, that's tenth. That's God's. That belongs to God. But your offerings is what he can work on. That's the... The 30, 60, 100 fold um, of what we plant in our um, offerings. And that was a revelation to me some time ago because I used to, I always knew right from the very first time I uh, was working that tithe, the tithe belonged to God and that, that, was, that was a no-brainer. Um, and then whatever I had in my purse was offering. <laughs> um, on Wednesdays, Sundays, and uh, and then I got I got a revelation of what I'm sowing that God can give me seed to sow for my offering, and then the blessing comes out of that. The tithing, um, He rebukes the devourer when we tithe, so your things aren't going to break down the same and all of that stuff. He looks after you. The offerings, 
uh, um, and it's all because he wants to bless us. It's not because God doesn't want our, uh, our money, but he does because he wants our heart. And and so, and then when I read this, this time, I thought, you do that, <laughs> and then everything you need and plenty left over to give to the poor. So we're not giving our tithes to the poor. And we're not giving our what God's telling us to give offerings to the poor. But we do that and then out of that comes the blessing and then we have plenty over and then we can, we've got it in our pocket and when we see the need, we can go... Isn't that wonderful? I, I, I just... Why haven't I seen that before? I hadn't seen it before. And, um, and so Philippians... Um, Paul said in Philippians, verse uh, chapter four, verse seventeen, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And in this house, I've never ever heard an offering teaching that I felt like I could hear resonated. We need money for the lights, or we need money. I know we've had sacrificial offerings for um, the building and all of that, so you know where that was going but it wasn't a desperation of you need to pay because we're in trouble I've never heard that in the 50 years that I've been hearing these messages it may have been the case I don't know but here we are you know debt-free building all that kind of stuff anyway um but just like Paul it was it's it's been a priority to preach the giving message, to grow us up for our benefit so that it's working in our lives so that we can be a blessing to others. And that we, I mean, I'm, I'm so confronted by the homelessness in our city and um, saying to the Lord, how do you know what? And, um, and so the key is here that we, we're doing the right, says to bring your tithes into the house so that there will be food in the house, so that the word of God will be um, preached freely. So this is where your tithes come. It doesn't go out to, you know, this is where your tithes come if you, if this is your home. And so um, if we, we get this right and then the overflow happens. And it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be challenges along the way and uh, because, you know, there, w- there will be because the enemy doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't want us to have abundance so we can bless other people. He wants everyone in poverty. And so um, this is so encouraging. This is, uh, this is to encourage you today. This isn't to say we need your money, you need to be paying the offering today. If, if you feel um, under any pressure... Um, don't, don't give, and uh, and that's that that's the other thing that it said in here, not to be under any pressure uh, to give, because it's out of the joy of our hearts for what God's done for us, and also knowing that what's coming because of it, because it's a law, it's a spiritual law that's going to happen, and. Um, and, and I believe there's a whole generation of people that have come through this house 
that have heard this message and and um, some are faithfully here, some are elsewhere, and but those that have grabbed hold of it, those people are sowing all over the place, and um, because they've they've caught it, and uh, um, I believe there's been receptive hearts in this house to the word of God in this area, and also. Um, to the voice of God when we ask him to show us how to give and what to give. Um, we've been open and um, I would, uh, I'm sure there's testimonies in this house of God's goodness because um, uh, because of that. And um, God is so pleased. And in Psalm 27, 13, and I'll finish with this, David said, I would have lost heart unless. <clears throat> this has really been a scripture that's kept me for a very long time. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And this is this side of heaven. <clears throat> and I believe it. And I stand on it and I know it to be true. And so whatever you might be facing, whether it's even financial or anything, whatever you're facing at the moment, you can stand with David to say, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And David did see the goodness of God in his life. He was a very prosperous king. And um, he came through a lot of very difficult things. And, um, and I know that God is faithful. And I know that every word that we read this morning is true. And, um, and, and what he's done in our hearts this morning from worship, hold on to that, take it into your week. And, um, and keep your heart open for what God's, the word that God's got to bring today because it's going to be awesome. Chris, <laughs> sorry about that, I just took myself off mute, ah. <laughs> there we go, try that again, good morning, <laughs> glory to God, we're going we're gonna to be in uh, the book of Exodus this morning, so i uh, like to turn there. Exodus is a really, um, really interesting, interesting book because it, it, apart from the fact that all the all the deliverance that happened at that time, um, and the formation of, of of God's people into a into a nation, um, there are so many types and shadows, and and um, it it is. In fact, prophetic of of, of things that um, were going to happen um, in Jesus coming and being the uh, the deliverer of mankind, but it's also so relevant to the time that we live in right now. Um, so many types and shadows and and uh, and different elements in the in the book of Exodus. So I just want to read um, Exodus chapter 1 and 
verse, starting in verse 6. This is the New King James. And it says, And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. So when they came into, into Egypt, there were 70 people. 70 people of, of Abraham's, um, uh, well, Abraham's descendants, but it was um, uh, Jacob, his sons and their family. So 70 people came into Egypt. And a number of generations have, have gone past now. The, the, the king that, um, that welcomed them, the pharaoh that welcomed them uh, into Egypt, he's, he's gone. Um, and we're another couple of pharaohs down the track. And this pharaoh didn't, didn't, didn't know um, about Joseph or, or had forgotten conveniently, not remembered. But what had happened over that time was that the children of Israel had multiplied. They were blessed. They were God's people and they were blessed. And they were in a good paddock. They were in a happy place in Goshen, in Egypt. It was a good part of the land. Um, and that, that the original you know, Pharaoh had, had brought them into. And they were fat and happy. They were just in a good place. For a while. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. <laughs> they were more and mightier than the people in Egypt. This was coming from the king. More and mightier. Did they realise that they were mightier in that land? They didn't. But he said, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join with our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Now, I read that and I thought, why did the king want these people in the land of Egypt? They were a blessing. <laughs> they were doing good stuff in the land. They were prosperous, but they, that, as Rosemary said, that spill, I'm sure that spilled over. They were a benefit to Egypt just by being there. And they were more and they were mightier. In that land. And it was recognised. And the king said, oh, okay, we've got to do something about this. This isn't such a good thing. The children of Israel, I, I, there was back in, I think, July, I, I, I spoke on this a little bit. The children of Israel slid into slavery. It did not happen all at once. It didn't happen from more and mightier to being under severe bondage. That was a process that happened to those people. What do you think would have happened if all of a sudden there, there came a, righto, you are now slaves. 
maybe maybe their understanding of we are more and mightier might have kicked in and that wouldn't have been a good situation for for uh, for the egyptians so when the king said let us deal shrewdly with them there was a process that happened there that took them incrementally little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit into a position where they ultimately became slaves, where they had no rights, where they had nothing that was theirs. So why didn't they just stand up and say no? (laughs) Why didn't they just stand up and say no? (laughs) No. The enemy's a deceiver and he does what he can to convince people that they are not who God has made them to be. Do we realise who God has made us to be? <laughs> There's a, a, a certain Lutheran minister um, prior to World War II, he was a yeah, Lutheran minister, and there's a very famous, <laughs> very famous um, quote um, that's attributed to him, and it goes something like this: In Germany, they came first for the communists. This is talking about the Nazis. In Germany, they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't the communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up, because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up, because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up, because I was a Protestant. And then they came for me. And at that time, there was no one left to speak up for me. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, made it, um, he made it through the war, but he spent um, uh, prior to the war, until the end of the war, in a, in a, in a concentration camp. He lived, but um, interesting, isn't it? Interesting. So what's our responsibility as, as Christian people? Because we have the truth of the word of God. We have the truth. And there is truth that is out there. We live in an information age. Now, not all the information is good. Um, sometimes I turn on um, ABC radio um, just to keep up with the latest lies. Um, and... And I found myself the other day uh, screaming at the radio. I thought, oh, hang on. Well, for a start, that's pointless. Um, I was just sort of airing a little bit of frustration about what was being said. But um, there is information available to us that is true, that it's based in truth. Now, you've got to be really discerning when you're listening to stuff. 
it's really good to, to know who's saying it and what, where are their connections? Who are they connected to? I heard somebody, um, he was trawling out um, some information that I thought, I don't think, well, I, that is not correct. What you are saying is not correct. And I got to the end of, and I'll, tell, I'll just see where this person is from. And he was, a, he was an academic from Federation University. You, it's possible to do this. When you hear somebody speak, just understand where they're connected to and then have a look at the, the institution and see where their funding comes from. Follow the money. Because there's certain things that if a person who is connected to an institution who is being paid money for all their research and whatever, if they were to say something that was contrary to what they um, were, were, were told to or, or was being put out there, or was um, uh, going against a, a narrative that the, the funders were, were, were pushing, that's, they either lose their, well, they would lose their job, but their funding is, is in jeopardy. You've got to follow, you've got to understand where the motivation for certain things are, are, are coming from. So, do we call out lies? Do we call them out? Now, a lot of people will say, oh, I just want to keep my head down. I'll put my head up too, too high, it's, it'll, it'll get shot off sort of thing. I'll just, I'll, I'll just, do, I'll just mind my own business and, and uh, all that sort of thing. We had a, um, a situation, Coral's mum um, went to the hospital. She got, he had a pacemaker put in, but she went to the, um, to the hospital. We got there at 10 o'clock. And um, 10 o'clock at night. And um, at 2.30 I went home. And uh, the, the paramedics who, who brought her in were with her that entire time because they had no beds. Okay? There were no beds. There was nowhere to put her. Okay? And the, the paramedic at 2.30, he said to me, well, now you've got first-hand um, experience of, of ramping, okay? Because the paramedics, they bring the person in. If there's nowhere to put them, the paramedics have to stay there with them, babysit. So when we got there, there were eight ambulances out the front of emergency. And those ambulances stayed there for a very long time. Well, that ambulance left at four o'clock in the morning, because that's when the AMBO, you know, did a check on, on a readout of, of what was going on with, with mum's heart and, uh, and, and they sort of kicked into gear because um, <laughs> she wasn't going to be there very much longer if they didn't. But there are no beds. That's not true. It's not true. They have got lots and lots and lots of beds there. They haven't got any staff to staff the beds, so they say there are no beds. It's not true. They've got no staff. 
But it sounds better if so. Well, we've got no beds. We've got no bed for you. Why haven't they got any staff? Well, you can you can follow that that one. You can follow that one down. How many people who are in the medical industry were mandated out of out of their positions? You can't work. You're not jabbed. You can't work. And that goes to firefighters. There's still firefighters in Victoria, still. Mandated out of, out of work and not back. And, you know, the, all the noise about this great, um, horrible bushfire season we're going to have. And yet there's a whole bunch of, of eminently qualified, ready-to-go firefighters. What's that all about? Well, well, that's another thing. Do we call out injustice? Is that, is that our role? Do we call out injustice? Now, months ago I said, write some letters to your politicians because I hate them because they've got to reply to a, a letter. Write them a letter. I've been corresponding with the Minister of Health. <laughs> hope it's annoying her because <laughs> the questions I'm asking cannot be answered well they can be but they won't but it puts them on the spot what are you going to do about this situation explain to me why this is the case good fun do we comply with ridiculous directives now we've all been put in situations over the last number of years where we've had to comply have we had to comply we have all been in situations where we probably have complied Um, we would, I've got a new grandbaby. Yeah, 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 little boy. Um, it's um, Jesse and Camille, so this one's got a funny name too. Um, <laughs> but Chicago Wonder suits that little girl. And I'm sure JJ Poet will suit this little boy. Absolutely. And he's beautiful. Anyway, we were down in um, the hospital, Casey Hospital, and um, hardly anyone's wearing a mask. There were some, but a lot of the you know, medical people not, not wearing masks. You try and get into Bendigo Hospital even today without a mask on, they'll, they'll gang tackle you. It's just, it's, you think, what's going on there? What's going on there? Um, it's uh, quite amazing. So I was listening just recently to an eminently qualified um, infectious diseases expert 
who is not linked to funding from the World Health Organization or any of, of those. And he was talking about masks. And he made a really, really good analogy, a really, really effective analogy. He said, wearing a mask against a virus or expecting that to stop a virus is like trying to fill a shopping tro supermarket shopping trolley with sand. That's about as effective as it is. You'll be going there forever. It's not happening. It, it, it's all the studies that have been done without WHO funding, because <laughs> there are different studies, bring this out very, very, very clearly. Now, having said that, if I've got a... Um, if I've got, a, um, if I've got a, a surgeon doing something on me, I'll, yeah, please wear a mask. That's fine. I don't want you spitting in me or whatever. Okay. But that's about as good as it, as it gets. Now, if I'm, if I'm mowing the lawn or, or um, in a dusty space, I will put a mask on because that dust affects me because those particles are big enough that that mask will have some effect. Virus particles are so tiny so minute that those masks, even the, the, the you know, M95s and whatever, they are not effective. So what was all that about? And they knew that. So what was all that about? Control and complying. You will comply. You will do what we say. And bit by bit, we've been f formed into a, a very compliant Society Now, it's backfired. It has backfired because there are so many more people now who are aware of all the lies, of all the manipulation that, you know, try that again and see what happens. And they are going to try it again. So, so just be aware. You know, lots of talk about this pneumonia in, in, in China now. <laughs> Funny about that. Um, yeah, this children's pneumonia and, and what you know, better mask up. Don't. Anyway, that's my little rant. Um, let's go to um, Exodus chapter three. So this was the situation that that the children of Israel found themselves in and they were in a position of slavery. They were doing what they were told. They, they got them to the point where they had submitted and look, submission is a, is a mindset. Now, just with regard to submission and compliance, you know, you, you, I'm talking about that and, and you think, well, I must be totally against submission and compliance. No, I'm not because the last couple of weeks I've, I've talked about humility and, and, um, and repentance. And repentance is, repent is to change your mind, change your thinking, change your thinking. So does God want us to comply with what he says? Absolutely. Does he make us? No. It, we do that freely. And, and what's the result of freely submitting our hearts to God? 
well, it's life and life more abundantly. That's what happens there. So does the enemy want us to comply? Yes. Will he force us? Absolutely, with any means possible. What's the result of that? Well, he's the one that comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's the result of that. So these people had got into this position where they were in slavery and not a good not a good place to be. And they cried out to God and God heard because God does. That's what he does. And he prepared a saviour in, in Moses. And you think, well, that took a long time. Didn't that take a long time? They were in slavery for a long time. Why wasn't that quicker? And sometimes I, uh, you know, I've thought in the past, why is this process of, you know, if God knew before the foundation of the world what was going to happen, why did that process take so long? And, and I always come back to the, the, the thought of, he has to find somebody who will submit themselves to his will to allow his will to be done in the earth. That's, that's my take on it. So we've got uh, Moses. Now, Moses thought he'd, he'd get a little bit ahead of God and um, take matters into his own hands. He killed the Egyptian, had to flee, and he's, he spent 40 years in the back of nowhere in the, uh, in the wilderness um, looking after his flocks. And he has this encounter with God, the burning bush, the presence of God. And uh, we pick it up in chapter 3 and verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely, surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of all those ites. Uh, verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now I'm sure... Um, Moses was listening and he was listening intently of what God was going to do until he got to the point where I'm going to send you. <laughs> and then you read he freaks out a little bit with that. Me, who am I? What, 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 who, who am I? It's a good place to be. Um, you know, I read this a um, long time ago. Um, but it was a, a, I don't know where it came from, but um, regarding Moses, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent 40 years understanding he was a nobody. And he spent the last 40 years learning what God could do with a nobody. <laughs> if you think you're a nobody, great. You're disqualified. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. So we, we take this um, along um, a little bit. And uh, Exodus chapter 4. And uh, so Moses has had that encounter with God. God's given him the, the tools, his staff, and, and, and shown him the signs that he was to show the, the people. And then um, he's given Aaron... Um, to him, his big brother, because Aaron can speak well. And uh, so Aaron's going to be the mouthpiece. Moses gets the message from God. Moses tells Aaron. Aaron tells, um, Aaron speaks to, uh, to Pharaoh and the people. So in verse 29 of chapter 4, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words with which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord uh, had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their afflictions, uh, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So initially there was, there was comfort, comfort and confidence in, in that message. God has heard us. God is going to do something. He's heard that we're in this position and he's going to do something and he sent Moses and this is all good and let's go. And that was the, that was the, uh, that's where they, that's where they were. But it didn't last all that long because Moses and Aaron go into um, the presence of Pharaoh. They give the message and, and we know that that didn't go down well. Because um, Pharaoh just turns around and says, you've got too much time on your hands. Go and make the bricks and I'm not going to give you any straw. So that was the situation that they found themselves in. And there was some, some pushback. The, the enemy is not going to lie down. The enemy doesn't lie down. Because he knows that the end of this process is is not good for, for him. So, you know, you, you back a rat into a corner and expect it to bite you because it's got nowhere to go. And I think that's where the enemy finds himself um, right now. So expect that the enemy's going to come out hard. Expect that there are going to be some things that are going to come from the enemy that aren't going to be all that pleasant. That's what the enemy does when he's desperate. Any enemy. So let's go down to um, Exodus chapter 5, because this is, the, this is the, um, the result of that first encounter. Uh, Exodus chapter 5 and verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood to meet them. So this is the elders coming out from, from pleading with, with Pharaoh about the, you know, the straw. You've given us no straw. We've got to make the same number of bricks. How are we going to do that? And he just says, go make your bricks. So um, th then as they came out, elders came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh 
and then in the sight of his servants and put a sword in their hand to kill us. So <laughs> they, weren't, um, they weren't particularly happy with Moses and Aaron. They said, you've just stirred up the pot. You've just made it more difficult for us. What do you think you've done? Now, these people were in slavery. They were slaves. They had no rights. And they had somebody that God had sent to deliver them. The message was given. The reaction came from the enemy. The pushback came from the enemy. And now, you know, a a little while ago, they were saying, yay, Moses is here. And now they say, look what you've done. You've made it worse. Pushback. And verse 22. And you know, when that... To lead can be a, a very... It can be a lonely place, but the responsibility... For what happens, it comes back on leadership. It always, always comes back on leadership. The leadership is the point of the arrow. The leadership is the point of the arrow. And, you know, if you've, got, if you've just got an arrow head, you've got, well, you know, it's not very heavy. But what's, on the, on the, um, what's behind the arrow head? Well, it's the the shaft, whether it be an arrow or a spear. And the shaft is everybody that's following what's leading. And that's where the power comes from. You know, the the leadership is the the sharp bit, but without the weight of everybody else, it falls a bit flat. Okay, to poke in and drop out. You get the shaft behind the arrowhead, the weight of the people behind the arrowhead and uh, behind the leadership, and look out. Look out. <laughs> it's going to go right through something. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. And, you know, the pressure can come back on the leadership. Are we doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Are we heading in the right direction? I don't know what's going on here. So, you know, even even leaders can second guess. You know, the title of this message is Stand Strong. (laughs) <laughs> we just got to stand strong. Stand up and don't shut up. Stand strong. <laughs> but this is the good bit. <laughs> Chapter 6 is the good bit. That's all preparation. So let's read chapter 6. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses... Now you shall see. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let you go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. 
Now, it's talking about the strong hand and strong hand. The strong hand was God making Pharaoh do what he was going to do. And the strong hand of Pharaoh was, go now, get out. (laughs) That word strong hand, the meaning is sovereign power suddenly and forcibly applied. (laughs) Do you get it? God's saying, I am going to show my sovereign power. I'm going to do it suddenly and I'm going to do it forcefully. That's what God does. That's what he does. We've got lots of, of examples, particularly in, in, the, in the Old Testament, of, of things that the enemy thought, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get rid of this people. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to get rid of God's people. And the enemy is always, it's always his process. He hates everybody. He hates everybody, but he particularly hates those who know their God. So we can think of different ones. Haman, he got his. <laughs> Haman built a gallows to get rid of Mordecai. He thought, I'm going to get rid of you and I'm going to get rid of your people. <laughs> Haman built the gallows and he got hung on it. He got hung on his own device. That's what happens. The enemy creates snares. The enemy creates a trap. The enemy creates a situation where they think, we are going to get rid of you. Mm -mm. God turns that around and uses that very same thing. Daniel's accusers. They come, we've got to get rid of Daniel. We're going to get rid of this guy. We know he prays. So we're going to make a law. We're going to make a law against praying. Has anything like that happened in this country? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it has to. Big commotion over here. You know, look at this, everybody. Look at this. Look at what's going on over here. Look at what, over there. Look at what's going on over here. Meanwhile... Let's make some laws here and just we'll just pass these through quietly. So what happened in that situation? Well, Daniel was, we heard this this morning, Daniel was protected. He was protected. Nothing touched Daniel. But all those accusers and all their families and everything they, went, they had went into the lion's den after him, after Daniel came out. Read Psalm 94. I'll just say read Psalm 94. It's encouraging. <laughs> it tells of what the enemy purposes and plans and God's response. In verse 20 it says, you will have nothing to do with those who make laws, basically evil laws, laws against, laws against. It's obvious to all, and this is out of the passion, it's obvious to all, you will have nothing, God, 
you will have nothing to do with corrupt rulers who pass laws that empower evil and defeat what is right. (laughs) For they gang up against the lovers of righteousness and condemn the innocent to death. Please write a letter to a politician about full-term abortions. Would you do that? But I know all their evil plans will boomerang back onto them. Every plot they hatch will simply seal their own doom. For you, my God, will destroy them, giving them what they deserve. You say, oh, you can't read a psalm like that. Aren't we supposed to be loving people? Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't want these people to go in that direction. But if they decide to, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God is a God of love and truth, mercy and justice. It's all in there. It's all in there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. That's his desire. We know that. Not all will decide that because they've given themselves over to something else. Mm. Strong hands, sovereign power, suddenly and forcibly. So when it happens, don't be surprised of the sudden and forcible response from God. Now, I'm going to read from... uh, Uh, verse 6 to verse 8 of chapter 6. God says, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. (laughs) I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you up out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. (laughs) So we've got bookends. I am the Lord, I will, 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 I am the Lord. (laughs) The seven I wills, seven, it's God's number for completion, perfection and rest. And we can rest in what God promises. We can rest in his promises. I will bring you out. I will rescue you from bondage. I think we've already heard it this morning. Come to, to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a promise from God. It's for anybody who will receive it. I will redeem you. And I thought about that. We know that the redemptive work of the, of the cross that Jesus paid for our salvation, 
He paid the price for our salvation. He was the redeemer. He was the, he was the one who paid for that sin. And I'm thinking, in this situation, who paid? And the verse came to me, well, the wages of sin is death. The Egyptians paid a very, 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 very big price for going against what God had said, the will of God, and, and all of that. I will take you as my people. Now, you've got you've to understand where these people... God said, came to these, this, this nation of slaves and he says, I will take you as my people. And you think, well, this, this people group, what did they have to offer? They had nothing. They had nothing. The decline from, from Abraham, from Isaac and Jacob... All those guys were very rich people. It's, the Bible says it. They were wealthy people. They came into the land of Egypt with wealth. They were given a, 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 a great place to live and they prospered and they grew and they grew mighty. And yet, over, I don't know how many generations it, 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 it turned out to be, but they, all of that was lost and... When we've, what we find here is that, is that people who have nothing, who think they're nothing, who have a poverty mindset, which we see you know, later on, they've got nothing. They're a mess. This people is a mess. And God says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And what does that say to us? God is just looking for a heart. We can't give him anything other than our heart. That's all we can give him. And if we think we've got something, you know, we're going to be the gift to the, to the body of Christ, we'll think again. All we can give him is our heart. And he comes in and we, saw that, we see that through the ministry of Jesus. Who did he come to? He came to all that needed a physician. I haven't, come, I haven't come for the well, I've come for the sick. I've come for those who need me. And, you know, understanding that we have that need, that we need Jesus, that we need our relationship with God. I am a person in need. That's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be. Because God says, yeah, I'll have you. Because we recognise we recognise the need that we have for him every day. I will bring you into and I will give it to you. I will bring you into the land and I will give it to you. And look, that's, there's a difference in those couple of things. I mean, I could take you into a, a, um, a, 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 you know, a, a, a car yard, a, a luxury car yard. And show you all the different cars and you think, oh, wow, look at that. Isn't that lovely? And then if I was to say, oh, I'm going to give you this one, that's, um, that's next level, isn't it? I will bring you into and I will give it to you. And all the promises 
of God in Christ are yes and amen. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And if we don't know all the promises of God, well, we need to do some more reading. Read it, believe it, and allow God to work that out, work that into our life. Glory to God. And we know the result. We know that they came out, and they came out powerfully. Now, did they have more issues? Absolutely. That's fine. That's another story. But they came out, and they came out by the power of the Holy Spirit, that pillar of fire and of, of, uh, of, of, um, of cloud, led by the Holy Spirit. And they came out with wealth. They had lost everything. They had nothing. They came out wealthy. There was a transference of wealth at that time. Bible talks about it. Is there going to be another transference of wealth? I believe so, because the church has to do that end-time ministry, and that takes substance, that takes finances. How's that going to happen? Got some clues, but that's another story as well. Sometimes we, we, we hear what God says and we say, well, how's that going to happen? And for the, for the largest part, that's not, that's not our concern. It's not our concern. We can, we can get distracted with, with a lot of things. Our concern is ministering to God and believe what his promise says. And then because we believe what his promise says, we position ourselves to be able to receive Glory to God. I love the I wills. I will. I will. I will. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the beginning and the end. I love the bookends. I am the Lord. He is, everything in between is his. Our job is to be led and guided by him. So, you know, the things that I've I've, I've, said about, you know, do we call out lies, do we call out injustice, write letters, whatever. Well, pray about it. See what God says. Uh, you know, sometimes we can, we can say, I, I hear that, and I oh, I can't be bothered. And don't take it to the Lord, but ask, what, what would you have me to do? You know, I know sometimes people can, can, can be ob- obnoxious, and, and that doesn't go down well. Maybe that's not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But, but do we want to be a people who are led by God in the things that we do? Well, if that's the case, we've got to ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do? And do that. You know, Matthew chapter 16, I'll finish with this. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, um, when, uh, when Peter had had that revelation of, of, of who Jesus was, Jesus' response was, he said, you are Peter, and that means a little rock. 
and on this rock, and it's not Peter, because the rock is, is it's a comparison between, um, you know, a, a fair-sized chunk of rock and the rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> the rock is the revelation of my name, the rev- that revelation of who I am, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the Saviour. Jesus said, I will <laughs> build my church. And it might, be, it might be another sovereign power suddenly and forcibly applied, but I will build my church. So we're being called to co-labor with Christ, not to get out in front, not to run out in front. Moses, I've already mentioned that. Moses ran out in front, killed the Egyptian, had to you know, go and hide for 40 years. Not to be out in front, but not to lag behind. Not to be so far behind that we can't see where, where God is, is moving and directing. But to walk with the Holy Spirit. There's no better way than to be in his presence, to get in his presence. Corporately, when we're together, that's wonderful. We need some other time with the Lord need to prioritize that and as we do I believe that God will will lead us he will direct us for the different parts that we all have to play and as we do that God does his bit (laughs) hallelujah glory to God let's pray heavenly father I just I just thank you for for the resource that you've given us, Lord, for your word, for the, for the truth of your word, Lord, that we can see what you've done before and you'll do it again. And Lord, just help us to just walk with you. Lord, help us to be soft before you, to be malleable, to Lord, to be pliable, Lord, to be able to be um, molded and shaped as you would have us to do. And Lord, practically, show us what you'd have us do. Lord, speak to us when we're with people, whether we're to speak or to not speak, whether we're to, to whatever we're to do, Lord, because you're the one who wants to lead us and guide us. And Lord, as we, as we just submit ourselves to you, you will. You will speak to us because you've promised to. And, and Father, we thank you for what you're building. Lord, it will be a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And Lord, we just thank you. We just thank you for the the absolute privilege it is to know you. Hallelujah. 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 We just thank you, Lord. All glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to have communion. So if uh, if you haven't got one, a little cup there, up the back. In 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 with a squeal, out with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It is such a privilege. It is such a privilege to be able to know the Lord. I. I never want to be one who takes that for granted. And I love that we get to celebrate communion every, every Sunday. 
because it is a continual reminder. Don't ever take that for granted. It is a continual walk, as Dad said. We are to, to continue to stay in step with the Holy Spirit, to have Him as our guide, not just our, you know, our figurehead like, like the, the, the monarch or the patriarch. We are to have Him right next to us every single day. And if that is our actual experience, I can guarantee you it's not, it's not, a, uh, it's not a hard thing. That, is an, a, that becomes the, the necessary thing, the only reason that we can live in the, the life that God's called us to live, as glorious as it is, is, it will be because we are in step with the Holy Spirit. It's not a, oh man, I've got to do this. It's, I can't do life without you. I can't do anything without you. Because God's called us to some pretty huge things. But we often forget that it's, it's not done without Him. And it cannot be done without Him. It cannot. Um, in Romans 8 and verse 37... It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Two really important things there. More than conquerors. What's, what's more than a conqueror? A conqueror occupies, they, they take over a place, they invade somewhere at great cost, great price. It takes a lot of bodies, a lot of resource to invade somewhere, to conquer something. But in this verse, it's saying we're more than conquerors. What, what is a, more than a conqueror? Well, the, the truth and the beauty is that we didn't pay the price. Jesus paid the price. He's the conqueror. He conquered death. And we are not, we are not more as in more important. We are second. We are next. We are occupying we are uh, we are the ones who he has given the authority to occupy to but it is not without him hmm. in first Corinthians 15 two scriptures in Corinthians here first Corinthians 15 and verse 57. Fifteen and fifty-seven says, "I'm in the right spot." In verse fifty-six, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It, it keeps coming back to it again and again. Let's not forget that our labor is in the Lord. It's in the Lord and it will not be in vain if it is in the Lord. Hmm. 
Uh, and Paul says just earlier in verse uh, in chapter 15, he's speaking about uh, real humility, speaking about his accomplishments or his his value. And he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. We've got to get the picture that where God's calling us to some big things, to be walking in and using uh, the authority that he's given us, but it is not in our own strength. We cannot do it without him. And this is what he made possible. He paid the price that we would be able to operate in through his grace and be right there with him every single day, right there. So as, as we, uh, why don't we stand as we take communion and let's just take a moment to, to reflect on what this means. What his price, the price that he paid, enabled for us. To walk in step. To operate through his grace. Lord Jesus. Lord, let us stand in awe of what you've done. Lord, let it never be, let, let our familiarity never, never breed um, a, a sense or a devalue what we know that you've done for us. Lord, bring us from glory to glory. Let's just eat. Lord, let the desire of our heart be to know you and to never stop. And never stop in pursuit of a deeper knowledge, a deeper experience of your heart. Because Lord, that is the invitation you've set before us. That is the price that you paid that we would be able to be connected, fully connected with you, seated with you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Let's drink. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can take your seats. Pretty good. It's amazing how, uh, yeah, God lines stuff up. I started by talking about adversity and uh, Tim spoke all on that and Rosemary touched on it, Caleb's touched on it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, basically we can't do it without him. So our first port of call when we're in need is go to God, go to the source.
Uh, and I, I also too was going to uh, mention about reading Psalm 94, so no coincidences. So, uh, and I apologise at the start, I forgot to welcome any new people, so welcome any new people. Uh, yeah, so as, as we go into the week, we've got uh, all our stuff happening, we've got, uh, got the little people in here on Monday morning, no, no little people this week, that's finished, so don't worry about that. <laughs> You can still turn up and have time with God. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure, don't know that there's anything going Tuesday, but Wednesday night in here, 7.30, come in and have an encounter. Uh, lots of stuff, good stuff happens there. Thursday morning, the uh, ladies meet here, do they? No? The, yeah, no? They're finished? Ah, uh, so well, I've got this one Thursday night. Chris Watley's, the men. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that's that's men. Seven thirty. Chris Watley's, be there. Come with a smile, ready to hear from God. Youth is done. Ooh, that was done Friday night. Good finish. Yeah. So just uh, general, we've got, yeah, there's copies of the newsletter out there. Um, uh, next week on the 10th, after church, we're jumping on the train, we're heading to Melbourne, going down to Numa for more fun. And I think that's what we, what we've got. We've got, no, yeah, we're meeting in the park for lunch today. So, yeah. uh, 15th, Christmas dinner, picnic out here, come join, and uh, I assume there's still stuff going for the Christmas tree, yep, and back that night, yes, I've got it all covered, I think, so let's, uh, yeah, go out, have lunch for somebody, everyone's more than welcome to come to the park, enjoy, and the godly week starts now. So get out in the public and let everyone know.